In October 2314, the tricentennial of the debut of Métis in Space, the new Moccasin Telegraph had the opportunity to, to sit down with Chelsea Fowell and Molly Swain, who recently made waves when they refused the Nobel Peace Prize earlier this year for their podcasting contributions to humanity. Notoriously reticent and crotchety, they rarely leave the comforts of their Métis spaceship as it orbits Kataskanauma. So it was a pleasure and a privilege for this reporter to receive their insights and wisdom, as well as to hear a little bit about their temporal travels, already the stuff of legend, that la launched the great interplanetary decolonization of 2135. Where did this all begin? What influenced you to create an indigenous podcast that examined representation and tropes in antiquated 20th and early 21st century media in the genre formerly known as science fiction? For our listeners, the term science fiction was officially changed to science fact in the 2185 edition of the OED. Um, well, we recognize that these stereotypes and tropes of indigeneity uh, in the settler media at the time were significantly contributing to ongoing colonial policies and violence. We knew that naming and discussing these stereotypes was the first step to overcoming them. And due to what we now know of space-time quantum mechanics, we knew that Métis in Space had to begin in 2014, because it already had. Reading about yourself in the history books growing up can be a little bit intimidating, but meeting and working on uh, this project was a natural extension of our interests and desires to bring about the indigenous mio witseotowen society, which we all now enjoy. Your trip back to 2014 has become the stuff of legend. No one had traveled that far back, and no one would have ever considered going to a time so marked for its violence and whiteness. What was it like when you first arrived? So we touched out in a place called Alberta by the Muniawak who ruled it, and it was a grim spectacle. For our listeners, the term Muniawak is an anachronistic term for Nuago Maganak that loosely translates to European-descended white people. Right, thanks. Um, beautiful territories were turned into cesspools of toxic bitumen sludge and gaping wounds in the earth. Indigenous peoples and the few Muniawak who allied themselves to the struggle were being systematically ignored and demonized. And as you know, the infamous Economic Disruption and Terrorism Act of 2015 brought arrests and criminalization of our ancestors to levels not seen since the late 1880s. The federal paramilitary, known as the RCMP, and the intelligence service CSIS were bloated under their exponentially expanded budgets, and the colonial regime already just a front for the multinational cor corporate oligarchy. So the historical stage was set, as it were. There were many paths laid out in front of us, and the choices were clear. Accept neoliberal hell and the continued degradation of the earth and the eventual extinction of the animal, human, and plant nations, 
or what was known at the time as decolonization, the non-metaphorical return of our lands and the repatriation of indigenous laws and worldviews as guiding relationships among all living beings, not to mention the bettering of the overall aesthetic. Mm. The time was ripe for Métis in space, but decolonization could not be achieved without the intimate knowledge of the land and landscape, so we made the decision early on to send ourselves back at the tender age of 10 so we could grow up knowing the environment and issues. Chelsea went to rural northern Alberta, and I went to the urban south. We realized that both of these perspectives would be invaluable in our coming work. It must have been challenging to grow up in such white times. It was a real shock to be coming from an indigenous future and to be thrust back to a time when that was not even considered a possibility. Our ancestors were surviving and sometimes not surviving. Unbelievable violence and hostility from the Muniawak of the time. One of the hardest things was that the Muniawak considered themselves to be a peaceful and just people, and didn't recognize that their centuries of legislation, policy, and actions had created conditions where indigenous peoples were dying at astronomical rates. Mm. They blamed us for the violence we were experiencing, and enacted increasingly constrictive and patronizing legislation in order to be able to forget about us and justify their regime. Explain a little more about your work. How did the tropes and stereotypes you encountered in science fiction interfere with holistic processes of indigenous repatriation of lands and laws? Well, we quickly learned that stereotypes of indigenous peoples were specifically designed to recreate us as mythical, disappearing, and backwards people who were stuck in the past and so couldn't have a future. The colonial regime's inability to picture indigenous peoples as existing into the future meant that all legal and policy decisions were organized around the basic idea that we wouldn't be around for that much longer. And the regime and its corporate puppeteers were simultaneously trying to ensure exactly that by taking the lands, children, and languages of our ancestors. Yeah, addressing these tropes on the newly formed Pan-Global Information Intertransfer Digital Hive Mind, the PGIIDH, meant infiltrating and asserting a media presence that contradicted colonial expectations of our imminent demise. We let these pre-Mio-Witsetowen dystopian overlords know that the reports of our deaths were greatly exaggerated. A large number of other indigenous voices were also rising at the time, using the PGIIDH, as well as more widespread ancient technologies such as television, books, and speaking tours. The intersection of grassroots, academic, professional, traditional, educational, and future space groups and projects inverted colonial discourses, which up until that point were led by non-Indigenous people, and resulted in us taking that space and dialogue back from the Muniawak to create and imagine our own futures. We were talking not just to the regime, which we knew would never undermine its own power and listen to us, but to one another, building relationships of resistance and our capacities for sustained, supported, and reciprocal decolonizing. Miwitsetowen was on the horizon. From what I understand, the PGIIDH was colloquially known as the Internet. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's right. Good history. Tell me, how did you get to Asgewipe Matsuho Watsikewina? Well, first we had to get rid of the concept of reconciliation. It may seem outdated and bizarre that a concept that allowed Muniawak to reconcile their own guilt and past actions was being so strongly advocated for. But at the time, there was a huge push to deny indigenous presence and histories in order to access dwindling fossil fuel resources. The semi-secret corporate hegemony wanted to reconcile and justify its own actions and policies without making any real changes. 
a relationship articulated by Nahiawak elders of the time, set into place arrangements for livelihood, living, and evolving treaty rights that reestablished indigenous reciprocal obligation models of governance among sovereign peoples, instead of the Western liberal individual rights model so adored by the post-enlightenment Muniawak of the time. 2018 to 2021 saw the Kitsitapwe win, during which Métis and space played a pivotal role in uncovering and confronting colonial deceptions and destroying all possible moves to innocence. Could you elaborate on the Kitsitapwe win and its after effects? Well, it was an incredibly tense and uncomfortable time, uh, when in the space of a few short years, everyone living on these lands had to face their own complicity in globalized colonial violence. This included addressing anti-blackness, orientalism, and the ways that white supremacy had pitted racialized people against one another to uphold its own primacy. This scared the shit out of the Muniwak. Yeah. The fear-mongering that took place during and immediately after the Tapwewin was outrageous. What were some of the myths and racist tactics that you faced? Uh, my personal favorite was the de-civilizing campaign myth, which insisted that people would have to live without European inventions, such as toilet paper. That really incensed a lot of settler anxieties. Uh, they also said that everyone was going to lose their jobs, no one would be able to support their loved ones, so indigenous existence was a direct threat to their families. There's also the forced exile myth that indigenous resurgence would lead to the banishment of all Muniawak and the seizure of their assets. So essentially what they had done to us, we would do to them the first chance we got. And that is what led to over 6.5 million people establishing the first Martian colonies. Yeah, the great irony of their exodus, which they know as the great persecution and we know as the upsettling, was that they ended up living in conditions so much worse than anything they could have envisioned in their worst de-civilizing propaganda. While all those who remained created conditions wherein we all thrived. Uh, this, of course, led to the bailing out of 2099, where we shipped desperately needed supplies of toilet paper plants and space blankets to our estranged cousins. That relationship, as we all know, remains strained, as demonstrated by their most popular commentary transmission still being shown on the ancient television. The long-running Percival Waxbottom's Nostalgia Hour, which is now in its 115th season and stars Percival Waxbottom's reanimated corpse. Yeah. What precipitated your return to the 24th century? And what have you been up to since? Uh, well, the history books tell us that Métis in Space records its final episode in 2025 and that Molly and I returned to the year uh, 2300 from then. Uh, things were well on their way to Miowitzetwin and our comrades and ancestors had things well in hand, so our work was done. Um, our return to this century was a whirlwind of celebrations, awards, and extrasensory perception network appearances. In spite of the hardships and struggles we'd faced in the 21st century, it was the limelight that really burned us out. Yeah, so we designed, uh, built, and moved into the Métis spaceship in 2310 to enjoy an early retirement and have the occasional glass of wine and watch some classic science facts mm. films. We spent many an hour watching over Kitaskana Uma, knowing that balance has finally been restored and that all our relations are taking care of one another. So, why did you turn down the Nobel Peace Prize? Well, after our time in the 21st century, we couldn't have our names beside that of Stephen Harper, who won the prize in 2015 for his work establishing economic peace by declaring environmental martial law. Ah, yes, Harper. Relegated to a mere footnote in history, Harper was the colonial figurehead of the corporate oligarchy in the early mid-21st century. So, more importantly, we cannot take sole credit for the work of thousands of dedicated and courageous Nietzsches who defied unspeakable violence, colonial erasure, and dehumanizing stereotypes. Any recognition we receive truly belongs to them. Yeah. One last question. Is there anything you miss from the 21st century? 
Oh, for me, just the sheer amount of meat we were able to eat back then. You could get a breakfast with three different kinds of animals fried in the fat of a fourth animal. Oh, factory farming was horrific, but so, so delicious. That's a tough one for me, but I would have to say new Beyonce albums and KFC. Mm. While Kentucky Fried Chicken was known for its salt, grease, and general deliciousness, that was indeed a dark time in history before healthy relationships with our animal relatives had been re-established. I am trying not to judge you, but that is disgusting. On the other hand, Beyonce's last album, released in 2069, Party Like It's 69, is still considered one of the greatest classical pieces of all time. Aye aye, Molly and Chelsea, for your time. You are personal heroes of mine, and listening to episodes of Métis in Space and History Class sparked my interest in historical journalism. If it's not too awkward, would you both mind signing my butt so I can get it tattooed? Of course! <laughs> Nothing would make us happier! <laughs> Open to the square, keep your physical, make tea in space, space.